Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Hey, listener, it's Dan here, and this is a special audio broadcast of Market Call. It's a video series I do with Guy Adami Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Today, we discuss the stock market sell-off, tech earnings, Deutsche Bank calling for a deep recession, and Fidelity planning to allow Bitcoin in its retirement accounts. So take a listen, and if you like what you hear, be sure to follow us at MKT Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Tuesday, April 26. It's one of those magic marker highlighter days. I'm just telling you right now, it is. G-Swiz here, joined by Dan Nathan for Market Call. Today's Market Call, Dan, is brought to you by CME Group where risk meets opportunity. By the way, I love that. Whoever thought of that genius and open exchange, Dan, because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Tech stocks getting smoked like a tipperillo ahead of some key earnings tomorrow. Deutsche Bank warning for a recession. Oh, thank you, Deutsche Bank. You got your own issues, number one. And crude's bouncing and Bitcoin at this key 38,000 level. So much to unravel in 30 minutes, Dan Nathan. So you're putting it on the clock, huh, guy down here? All right, there you go. I mean, listen, you know, last night you and I were on the set of CNBC's Fast Money mm-hmm. at the NASDAQ, okay? And you and I, you know, we had a particular sort of bearish bent despite, despite the fact that there was a huge reversal in the afternoon. You know, when we were doing market call at one o'clock, you and I were saying it was kind of weird, right? Some of the price action that the NASDAQ was unchanged, but yet all of these stocks that had been bludgeoned for the last few months or quarters were green. The fact that Apple was down 1% was keeping the NASDAQ unchanged. It was also interesting that the S&P was down and not trading particularly well. We highlighted some of the areas, energy, right? Banks were not acting well, material stocks, that sort of thing. And so last night on the call, we had that reversal. The market closes up more than 1%. And I actually said, I think it was really bearish, guy. The, the, the stuff that got the rally going were the hardest hit, beaten up names. And the names that actually were the beneficiary of those stocks being beaten up, the rotation into some of those other areas were acting horrible. Well, here we are. Can you help me make sense? You just said it's a bookmark sort of day. Can you help me make sense about today's pricing? What has changed in 24 hours? I don't think a lot has changed at all. And, and I echoed some of your sentiments last night. You said yes, it you much did. more eloquently and Probably. succinctly than I was able to do. But I'll say this and I'll say it again. Some of the most violent rallies take place in markets that are headed lower. Notice I don't say bear market because I don't get people all exercised. But markets that are trending the other way. And we obviously saw that yesterday. You still have a VIX that's trading either side of 30, elevated clearly. You have a bond market that's broken. We'll take a look at rates at some point. But I mean, what's changed? Nothing's changed at all. It's still sort of market wants to head lower, trend lower. You're going to get these violent rallies in the middle of it. You saw that yesterday. And oh, by the way, 
not to make your eyes glaze over, but since you did the show for many years and Carter Worth still does the show, the negative gamma out there, the bad Greek, as they say, which forces people to sell as things go lower, the more lower it goes, the more they sell. And as things reverse the other way, those same sellers become buyers and you wind up chasing your tail. That's the price one pays for being short volatility, Dan Nathan. Yeah, well, listen, you know, the NASDAQ 100, the futures, if you just look at this thing, you know, we had that, it almost got to what, 16,700 mm-hmm. or so in November, never confirmed any of the new highs in the S&P 500 over the course of December and January. And here we are, once again, guy, 13,100 in those futures. And that intraday low back in March was just below, I think it ticked just below 13,000. And I got to tell you, I just don't see it, you know, finding some support here. You take it all the way back, basically a year, 13,000 in the futures has been the level. And you tell me, where do we go next? If you take this thing all the way back to early 01, here, here's the thing, you know, we're going to talk about earnings tonight in, in a few minutes. We're going to talk about Microsoft. We're going to talk about Alphabet. And we know that, you know, that's more than $4 trillion in market cap um, that's reporting. You know, those two in particular have acted very poorly relative to some other mega cap names. Google's down 15% of the year and uh, Microsoft's down 16% on the year. And both, I think it's some precarious levels, but you look at that, that NASDAQ futures set up here in the 100 it's not great guy no it's not great and this level obviously look critical support you have to ask yourself though we bounced off it obviously earlier this year traded back to the 200 day moving average seemingly failed which we did and here we are again most people most technicians out there of which carter braxton worth is in the Parthenon of, will say, you know what, there's no such thing as triple bottoms. We're going to go through it. I happen to agree. And look, you mentioned earnings. I mean, that's we're right at the precipice of this. It's make or break here, people, and we'll see what happens, and we'll look at some individual names. But this is clearly a key level. And with that 200-day moving average rolling over here, not a particularly bullish indication, just my sense. I mentioned Carter Braxton Worth, by the way, worth charting you got to check it out but he's big on this whole mind the gap thing i love this i mean it's he's so good by the way i will say this just to show you the the extent of his work his being carter braxton worth peter gerhard was a partner at goldman sachs he signed up for worth charting he was so geeked up today that carter put out a video last night around midnight this is somebody that reached the upper echelon of trading and is enamored by Carter's worth. If that's not a ringing endorsement, Dan, yeah. I don't know what is. Carter's been doing it for decades. And I think this chart's really interesting. I think he said to us yesterday on market calls that not all gaps need to be filled, but this one really seems like it's going to be. And he he identified that 40-20 level. It's down about, what, a little more than 4% or so. That's what he's saying right here. And it seems like a foregone conclusion. And I guess we're going to hit some of the points of why we think the market goes lower. Um, but it's important to use the charts, I think, as a little bit of a guide point. I think this is really important, though, Guy. We talk about sentiment all the time. Um, our friend Michael Santoli from oh. CNBC. Now, you, what um, do you do it when you when you trigger somebody? What yeah, do you call trigger. That? You call him triggering him. Yeah. Um, so I just triggered you. But he has this little long running thing about his mystery broker. And you guys could, if you just Google it, you'll find that he's defined a little bit who this mystery broker is, or what his context is, or you know. 
I don't know. I, I find it kind of interesting. I think people follow it. Um, and Michael certainly has a decent handle on this, but they're talking about pessimism has reached extremes. Last week, I think we talked about that AAII, that survey, which reached like, I don't know, a 20 year low at 15.8% of bulls. What do you, what do you make of like sentiment readings like this? And when they get a lot of, uh, they catch a little bit of a steam. I mean, listen, I will tell you trade at your own peril without being cognizant of them. I wouldn't trade on them though. How's that? No, I mean, I think yesterday, the bounce we saw yesterday illustrated exactly this tweet. Obviously, you know, these counter trend bounces are yeah. based exactly on that. When everybody gets towards one side of the boat, Obviously, it's going to sort of list that way. Then everybody runs to the other side of the boat until you find some sort of equilibrium. Well, we obviously haven't found it over the last couple of days. And I have the utmost respect for Mike Santoli and his work. But I mean, you know, you look at this, maybe there's a reason to be pessimistic. Maybe it's reached extremes because that's the exact environment that we find ourselves in. You know, sometimes the crowd can be right as well, because for 13 years, it was only optimism only enthusiasm, only exuberance seemingly every day because you just buy the effing dip and the yeah. market always goes higher. Well, that seems to have changed. And I think that tune changed back in November, Dan. Yeah, so, I mean, listen, yeah, I think... See, you got me exercised, you I see. Know, but, but I'm going to sort that, of ratchet it down a little bit here. That's uh, okay. But that's a really important point, okay? When you think about this, it's like yesterday you had a bunch of these names that are down 50, 60, 70% rally, and they're up 4, 5, 6, 7% or something like that. Well, today they're giving it all back. And so that's telling you something a little bit different about the market environment. The other thing I'd tell you is that all the stocks that had benefited from those rotations, right, out of high growth, unprofitable tech or whatever else that you know was not working over the last few months you saw money flow into energy uh and, and some of the materials and those stocks got absolutely killed yesterday and then the last point you and i've talked a lot about the banks over the last week uh or, or two weeks actually since they're earning they just act horribly and you better better keep an eye on them because they could be signaling something about the economy um so you know to that point guy deutsche bank and you just kind of gave them a little another you before. go listen it's amazing this is now you're double triggering me because yeah. this is another one that just i just see the name and it makes me see red but go ahead what does Deutsche Bank have to say? Well, I think this is really interesting. And you think that rates are going higher. I know a lot of smart people think they're going much higher. Here's Deutsche Bank, which you probably don't think is particularly smart, but their strategy sees a 5 to 6% Fed target rate and a deep U.S. recession, which is a kind of scary term to put in front of the term U.S. recession, deep. And, you know, we haven't had a deep recession until going back to, I mean, listen, we had a deep recession in 2020, but it was very short-lived. The past two deep recessions in, you know, post.com and post-financial crisis, they were deep and they were long. And that's the one thing I think that you would say that the Fed and where rates are, are not prepared, right, for a deep recession because they have yet to normalize rates. What's interesting here is, you know, I do think rates should look, I think rates should be significantly higher than they are now. The absurd thing and what you're going to see, and it's 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 happening before our very eyes today on these big market sell-offs. And I've talked about this now for the last couple of months. I thought the reason why rates could actually go lower from different levels is because it would be people would find the bond market as a sort of flight to quality, meaning buy the bond market, make yields go down. And that's what we're seeing today. But when five-year yields move 15, one five basis points in the course of a few hours, that says to me one thing, and I've said this a number of times, 
the bond market is broken. It, the fact that we even look, not you and I, but the fact that the market yeah. is looking to it for any guidance whatsoever and seemingly becomes bullish when the yield spread, you know, when the yield curve moves positive after being negative for a period of time is flabbergasting to me. I will tell you flat out, that mechanism is broken. Yield should be significantly higher given what's going on. The Fed's three and a half to four years behind the curve. And maybe Deutsche Bank is right. I'll say this. People think recession is some sort of four-letter word, like it's a bad thing. And I understand it's not a fun thing to go through, but it's an essential part of the business cycle. And the fact that we try to sort of alchemy them out vis-a-vis Fed policy is the reason we're in this predicament in the first place. Next, of course, Dan, and thank you for letting me rant there for a bit, the CME FedWatch tool. This is obviously the CME day, and this is an important thing. Basically, almost it's close to 100% as I've seen in quite some time. I mean, the market is pricing it in in terms of the bond market. And what I've said for a while, Dan, the bond market might be pricing this in, but the equity market is not in, by any stretch of the imagination. Well, it feels like it's starting to since Jerome Powell you know, spoke last week and was particularly hawkish. And I think that when you start seeing strategists or economists come out with like a 5 to 6% you know, 10-year target um, on, the, on the U.S. Treasury yield, you, know, you look at that 50 basis point that looks, sounds like an uncertainty okay, for a raise next week at the Fed's meeting. I think it's really important to remember that's the first time the Fed has raised 50 basis points um, at a meeting since May of 2000. We all know what happened in May of 2000. It was basically a month or so after the all-time top at the point um, in the stock market. We had a two-year bear market after that. And so the point that I'd say about that Deutsche Bank and, and the certainty of a 50 basis point rise next week is that once we start getting those kind of mid um, single digit percentages for Fed funds in the vernacular a little bit, it might become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, maybe what they're hoping is that they hit the, you know, the Fed funds hard early maybe rates run a little bit ahead of that, that cools things down a bit, maybe not as much as a deep recession, but maybe a little bit of a recession. You know what I mean? And so who knows? I don't know. Listen, if you're looking at this move in the 10-year, uh, the yield, you know, we went from what, 165 about a month ago to 275 where we were. We almost kissed 3%, which we haven't done since 2000 and what, 19 or so. And when you think about that move, I mean, I just drew one line, you know, Carter would tell us, all right, you've connected two points. That's fine. Maybe that's a trend. But if that thing were to pull back and it seems a bit extended, you're all the way back at 2-1. And under the circumstances of the Fed's certainty of raising Fed funds 50 basis points and to basically 1%, but the 10-year, if it were to come back near 2, that would tell you something very perilous about the U.S. economy, in my opinion. If, that, if, the, if, if in fact, 10-year yields were to go back to the levels, even if they got back down to 2.3, 2.4, to me, that would be on the back of a significant market sell-off. So an S&P 500, which is testing 4,000 and probably breaching that level. That, to me, would be the reason why yields would yeah. fall in that precipitous way. But we'll see. I mean, that would yeah. be my sort of the way I would map this thing out and the way yeah. I would game it out. But we'll see what happens. I'll say this, Dan, sort of doing the slide at Earl thing. 
Yeah, but we don't have to slide it yet. But what I would oh, say is I that you slide it. No, okay. I know, but 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 what I would say, guy, is that you know you just said the equity market; it's not pricing this this kind of bond volatility and and, and the rate uh, move that we've seen, and then the likelihood of much higher rates. And so I think that's really interesting. And I think that you know here's this is this is really an interesting tweet from a guy named Lance Roberts, and he's saying B of A B of A predicts it's not B of A predicting; it's a certain model predicting negative growth by year end. This is for global EPS here, and this is the thing that would hit equities, right? right? Because right now, you know, most strategists have S&P earnings up, I don't know, mid to high single digits. It's probably come down a little bit here. But if we were to have negative growth year over year, the U.S. probably does a little better. So we're probably a little positive. But what that means is a huge swing, right? From about 8% expected at the start of this year to maybe, I don't know, a few percent or something like that. And that's why you'll see multiples contract. You know why? Because you're going to see some big downgrades to guidance and we may see them this week. You know, look what happened in Netflix last week when the company guided down for their second consecutive quarter. Stock was down 35%, and the stock's been down 10% in two days since that guy. And that was my slide at all thing, because the next component is what's the right multiple for negative earnings or even flat earnings growth? I mean, what is the right multiple for that in a rising rate environment? You know, I've said for a long time, listen, historical average for the S&P 500, somewhere around 17, 17 and a half ish. You know, if we were to get there on the back of $230 of earnings, there's your 4,000 S&P. And if earnings disappoint to that prior slide, that's a real problem. And that 3750 level that I've mentioned a number of times, Dan, that's going to come into play. Mr. Softy, I mean, we're going to hear from Microsoft and this is at critical levels. I mean, you've brought this up a number of times. Those red lines, those head and shoulders potential formation doesn't look particularly strong. This 270-ish level in, in Microsoft is critical support. They better hope they say something good. You better hope that Azure growth is what it is, or we're going to have a problem here, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you think about expectations, you know, this was a company that for two years, 2020, or at least the back half of that in 2021, they absolutely killed it. I mean, earnings growth last year was, you know, mid 30% and sales growth was, you know, somewhere um, about 20% or so. So we're expected mid to high teens for both of those trading in about 29 times this mm -hmm. year, guy, 25 and a half, 26 times next year. So I guess my point is, you know, this stock acted really well last year when the S&P, you know, um, or most of its large cap peers had peak to trough declines um, at their height of about, I don't know, 15 to 20%. This thing never had more than a 10% peak to drop decline. The S&P never had more than a 6% peak to drop decline. Well, here we are right now, and Microsoft's down 16% on the year. The S&P is down 11.5%, and the NASDAQ 100 is down 19.5%. So it's kind of tracking more than the S&P, a little less than the NASDAQ 100 here. And I just think there's a lot of risk here. We've heard a lot about PC and server demand not being particularly strong, or maybe some pull forward, um, you know, and some difficult comps here at this valuation relative to the S&P 500. And if they were to guide down, the stock's probably going down 10%. I'm not saying in a straight line, but it's probably going down. And I also think we're in an earnings period right now where if not else, a whole heck of a lot changes in the macro environment, but some of these companies are able to put up decent quarters and decent guidance. It's probably not good enough. It's probably one up and maybe two or three down. That's the risk reward, in my opinion, for Microsoft guys. The cloud growth is disappointing. I'll say it will be in a straight line it'll be to 250 in a straight line which is approximately 10 for 10 percent or so from where we are and again it's not coincidental i mean if you don't believe me just let your eyes decide 
This stock made an all-time high basically in mid-November. That's what happened in mid-November-ish. That's when the Fed reversed course. I don't think that's coincidental. And listen, nobody cared about valuations in Microsoft forever, and rightly so, because valuations didn't matter. They only started to care about valuations in the market when the Fed changed course. And now you see what's happening here. It's not, again, to cast aspersions about Microsoft. It's a juggernaut of a company. I've said it. I think it's one of the top three most important companies on the planet. But it's just getting re-rated right here. Another stock that's sort of getting re-rated that really hasn't bounced all that much is the Google. If you look at that one, again, critical support. We mentioned it last night or yesterday during market call. One of the things that I thought was going to be one of the most critical stocks is Google. And here we are seemingly now through that support level, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, go back to those Q4 earnings in uh, early February, Guy, and they put up a really big quarter. I think there was nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, people thought the quarter was great, the guidance was great. Stock opened at a new all-time high, and it only spent about an hour there. It was 30-30, and here we are at 23.80 now. It's down 21%, Guy, since that day. And if you look at this technical setup here, man, it's really, it broke through that support, the Jan low, the Feb low, the March low, and then the April low. And it broke through just the other day in front of earnings. That's not a great setup. You know, like, why would you be selling that stock before the earnings if you thought they were going to put up another good quarter in guidance? And when you back it out and you look it out, you know, since, I don't know, start of 2020, you say to yourself, it's through that 200 day, it's through that $2,500 level. Where's the next level of support? I don't know, the May low, which is somewhere where, you know, down about, again, 10% from here, guy, right? So, I, you know, and this is the one, and I know you say this all the time, and I think you've been 100% spot on about it. This has the most defensible, um, you know, valuation um, than any of the mega cap tech names. The only problem is that earnings deceleration is you know, meaningful. It's back to grow 6% this year on mid to high teens revenue growth, which is astounding on that revenue base here. But again, if we are on the precipice of a major guide or re-rating lower of the market, it's likely at this point, given all the devastation in so many other tech stocks, it's got to happen from these generals. No question about it. And you look again, this is one that we're through this support level again we'll see what happens when they report they've reported some incredible quarters historic quarters and the stock has acted in kind a number of times on the back of those quarters seemingly only just to give it back up we have a question dan and this is from william by the way william watches market call seemingly every day so thanks for joining us guy and dan waiting for the bottom what's at the top of your watch list to buy i'll start dan and i'll let you think about it but for me it's apple and again Everybody loves Apple. You know, you buy it, you own it, you don't trade it. I get to all those different things. But we've mentioned numerous times about the 25 to 40% peak to trough declines in the name. I think Apple can trade down to 138. Makes a lot of sense. On my buy list, it's Apple at 138. And if and when it gets there, that could potentially mark the lower the broader market, Dan. Yeah, and I'm just going to riff on that theme a little bit, Guy. I, I don't disagree with you on that. I mean, if it breaks that 150, that was the March low. You have that kind of 138 level, which is the October low. And then you have a, a company where at least expectations are reset a great deal, especially given all the issues that we know they're having or potentially having with supply chains, lots of China shut down. So it's not just kind of manufacturing and access to components, but it's also demand, right? And so to me, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I would just say, 
just look at the cues, you know, like I, I want to buy Amazon. I want to buy Microsoft. I want to buy all these stocks down 10 or so percent from here. I mean, think about, you know, um, look at, look, go back and, and look at that Google chart again. And the stock flatlined above 2000 last February and March. Did you see that? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Well, if you were to get back there, you know, you're taking out all the excess, all the hard comps of basically the last year. And then you have a stock where if earnings don't come down too much, it's trading mid teens. You know what I mean? So, to me, versus that growth, a PE to growth, that looks very attractive. So I just do it through the cues, and I'll just tell you why. Those four names make up, I don't know, more than 30% of the NASDAQ 100. And then you have dozens of stocks that are down at least 50% in that. And if you have a long-term time horizon, that's the way I would play those. Because you will have some idiosyncratic losers the way we've seen Facebook cut in half and Netflix down 75%. The cues is a good way to do it, in my opinion. When I was in high school, there were guys that used to wear a bandana under their helmet. I never really understood it, Dan, but it was apparently to, um, they didn't want to break out. Apparently, they thought that would help them. Well, here's something that is breaking out. And by the way, I guarantee that helmet was not on your bingo card. But the dollar, Dan, is absolutely breaking out. Now you have this upwardly sloping 200-day moving average. The U.S. dollar going higher is a wrecking ball for most multinationals. And here we are at levels we haven't seen in the last two and a half years or so. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, during the pandemic, when we had, you know, initially all that monetary stimulus and the hope of all that fiscal stimulus, look at that, you know, going back to the start of 2020, I mean, people did not know what to do with the dollar, right? They hit it first and then they bought it and then they brought it back and then it went sideways and then it went precipitously lower when it was very clear that the Fed was going to overdo it as far as monetary and we're going to have rounds and rounds of fiscal stimulus. So we've had this march back and I know you made this point in market call on many occasions. A lot of that has to do with the relative weakness of the euro. And now, you know, we have a war in Europe and we have a very strong likelihood of a recession um, in Europe coming this year, you know, probably prior to any expectations of the US. And that's one of the reasons. The other thing I'll just say is that, you know, going back to 2013, 14, 15, when the Fed came off zero interest rate and stopped quantitative easing, what happened? Well, rates rallied. We've seen that in this period. We've seen the dollar rally. That's exactly what happened before. And crude oil started to get hit here. And so I think if we're going to talk about the dollar, we got to talk about crude. Now, there's other things going on, just the change of monetary policy, right, Guy? I mean, you've called crude very, very well here. But right now, you know, China's GDP is expected to be the lowest in basically two decades, okay? They've got the zero COVID is a disaster for them. They don't have the treatments, they don't have the vaccines, and they're just locking things down. And it's killing global growth right now. So the question is, is this all about China and the lockdowns? Um, you know, because if crude were to come in kind of hard, to me, back towards that 200-day moving average down there near 83 bucks, that would signal that global growth is not going to be what most people think it's going to be, given what the supply-demand dynamics look like right now. Well, a couple things. So if we find ourselves in this cone of death. That's the formation. Yeah. I've just given it the name. I know Amanda Diaz loves that because she can clip this and put it out there and talk about all things cones of deaths. But here we are. It's going to, one way or another, this is going to, um, it, it's going to manifest itself, obviously, through that downtrend line and then significantly higher. We're going to break down to the 82 level that you just cited. I happen to think it's going up, but I can understand why you think it will break down. I'll say this. I think crude going higher is probably negative for the broader market. And subsequently, to your point, if crude would go lower because global growth is slowing, that too 
is negative. So this is one of those situations where heads you win, tails I lose. And I think that's what the market is facing right now. But for so long, Dan, it was the other way. Now it's one of those things where, to me, it doesn't really matter where crude goes from this point. I think it's a negative broader market regardless. Yeah, I, I guess, that, I mean, coming from you, Guy, I, I mean, I, I sincerely find that pretty interesting because you've had a great call on this. And, um, you know, I, I think lower crude might kind of give the indication that maybe it's better for stocks, lower input costs, is at least effect on margins, that sort of thing. But I guess you have to kind of counter that versus the surging dollar, right, for a lot of these U.S. multinationals and the potential for slowing growth and what that might mean um, for earnings growth going forward here. And then, you know, listen, we got we got to kind of touch on some of these inflation hedges. You know, um, there was a lot of talk after that uh, March CPI print that was eight and a half percent that maybe that was peak right inflation. And maybe the Fed just talking the way they have over the last few months. And then they just raised interest rates by 25 basis points for the first time. The 100 percent chances we just discussed of a 50 basis point raise um, in a week or so. So why aren't these inflation hedges working anymore? And the first one would be gold. And you've had a really nice call on gold. You thought it was going to break out. You thought it was going to make new highs. It did that. It looks a lot like a double top right now. Now, granted, if you look at it and you zoom out, it's just been consolidating basically between 1700, right? And, and 2000 or so for the last year and change. And so are we just in a range here, guy? And what's the impetus to have it break out? Well, you said, I mean, as a matter of fact, Brendan Bresney, who is one of our crack producers as well, he saw this chart and the first thing he said was double top biatch and he's spot on. And so here we are effectively in no man's land. I still look again, I'll say it for maybe the hundredth time. I still think there's a story here in gold. I still think it goes higher. I think that uptrend line that you drew uh, in the form of the green line will hold. Uh, and I think we're going to take out those recent highs. I don't know what the catalyst is to get us there. Um, and I understand that the rising dollar is a bit of a headwind for gold. But I do think there's a story there. And maybe it's with our precious Bitcoin breaking down below 40,000. Who knows? Quick question, uh, Dan, if I may. David Tram has a question, not text, but David, you know, how do you play the travel trade? You do it vis-a-vis -vis Jets, the ETF. What I'll tell you is just, I'm looking at it now, the Jets ETF is basically the top airlines. It's Delta United, Southwest American, and Alaska Air in that order, representing about 40-ish percent of the ETF. I think you can do it through Dan's Airbnb, which was one of the A's in his ARP trade to make fun of me, or the Airbnb, which is the A in my Dawn trade, to answer your question. Now, I Fair just enough. did mention the Bitcoin, Dan. So let's take a look at you, it. Wait, because... wait, guy, you called it precious. I thought that was really interesting. What's so precious about Bitcoin? I don't know. I just threw precious in there. Isn't, know, that from that, isn't it from like a Harry Potter movie? Yeah, it's little, from the Lord that, of the Rings. Elf Gollum. Gollum. He called the ring his oh, precious. Lord of the Rings. All right, well, here's the deal. I, I thought this was a really interesting headline here. And, and you know, you would think that in if, if Bitcoin was in a bull market, this would be the sort of thing that might be, get people kind of fired up here. But Fidelity, and we know that Abby Johnson, who runs that company, has been um, very pro-Bitcoin for a while. And they've probably been looking for different ways to kind of integrate it into some of their offerings here. But this one's interesting because they're, they're going to later this year allow it to uh, retirement accounts. And look at that, 2,300 companies use Fidelity to administer the retirement plan. So when you think about the potential for, you know, just people to put it in tax-free um, accounts, you know what I mean? That they're just kind of setting money aside from their um, compensation with their company to buy Bitcoin. That sounds kind of bullish, guy. Ron Popeil 
set it and forget it. And with 23,000 companies involved here, it is sort of a set it and forget it. And it is bullish. Yet, Dan, what we're seeing here is anything but as Bitcoin once again goes below 40,000. Yeah, I'll just say this. I mean, last summer, Bitcoin felt really nasty. It was kind of banging around that, you know, kind of 30,000 level. It made a couple lower lows here. Well, here we are. We're banging around that 40,000 level. That that looks pretty similar. I mean, you know, maybe it holds that uptrend. I don't know. I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, there seems like the bulls get more bullish, right? The naysayers don't really get convinced um, by too many of their arguments, largely because year over year guy, it's stuck in the same spot that it was. You know, you know what I'm saying? So it be one thing if the if the if the thing was making higher highs, if you will. But um, again, watch that line and then mind the gap. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, Dan. Stuck in the middle with you. That's of course Steelers Wheel, the lead singer being Jerry Rafferty. Jerry Rafferty, who's saying Baker Street. Baker Street, obviously the street that Sherlock Holmes lived in. And you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to find us, Dan. You can find us every day here on Market Call. But that's it for today, people. So if you want more, go someplace else. But I want to thank our sponsors, CME Group and Open Exchange. Tomorrow, I can't even believe I'm saying this, 1 p.m., check this out. Special guest, Coco Beware, not the wrestler. That would be Mike Coe. He's the great Mike Coe of Options Action. He'll be with us tomorrow at 1. So don't miss it. Later. Later. Later.